The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. We're not quite bearing down, are we, on Easter quite yet, but it's not that far away. It's just over the horizon. And um, Pastor Jonathan said, oh, you've got a free hand, Kevin. You can preach on what you want. I think, in a sense, that's helpful, but in another sense, it's not helpful. You know, you're doing a series, and you've got to preach on this chapter or half this chapter. Hello, and then dude. somebody says, actually, you know, you've got, you've got a free hand. You like, what? You know. But at the time, I was um, reading through the Gospel of Mark, and uh, I was at, toward the end of the Gospel of Mark, and uh, I was reading about Jesus' rest and, and that. And uh, I thought, you know, when we get to Easter, we don't really talk about Peter so much, obviously because the focus is on Jesus. Why wouldn't it be? We're talking about his crucifixion. We're talking about his glorious resurrection. But I thought, no, I'm reading about Peter. So this morning, a little earlier... Than the, than the Easter season, we're, we're going to be looking at Peter's denial. Now, I'm guessing there's not too many people in this room that don't know what that means, but I'm not going to take anything, everything for granted. Um, and we're going to read, I'm going to take this reading, as I say, I was reading from Mark, so I'm just going to read a few verses. It will, as ever, come up on your screens, I believe. But I'm going to read from um, Mark and from uh, chapter 14 and verse 66. But before ever we read the word of God, I'm going to pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are in this place. And we've come to worship you. We've come to honor you. We've come to be, Lord, Father, under your word now. This is the scriptures, Lord, that are ordained by your spirit. And Lord, we just pray as we speak about your servant, Peter, as we speak about you, Lord Jesus, that you will be here. The unseen guest in this room, but where two or three are gathered, there your promise is that you will be there also. So Lord, Father, through the words I speak, through this room and through this day, we ask you, Lord, Father, be with us. We bless you and we thank you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Okay, Mark 14, verse 66. While Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with that Nazarene Jesus, she said. But he denied it. I don't know or understand what you are talking about, he said. And he went out into the entryway. When the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. And he broke down and wept. A well, very well versed and known story. But we know, don't we, that everything that, that, that um, happened in the ministry and the life of Jesus, be it in Jesus' ministry or indeed be it in the people that surrounded him, his disciples and that, is not recorded in every gospel, is it? Not everything Jesus did is found in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. It's not. 
It's absolutely not. However, Peter's denial on this, on this night before Jesus is crucified is found in every single gospel. Now, we know that the gospels were written at different times for different audiences, clearly by different authors, and with different themes to them. Now, when we talk about Matthew, he often speaks about Jesus about being the king, the Messiah, and he speaks of what, in the main, not surprisingly, about what Jesus said to his disciples, what he says to us. Mark focuses where we've taken our reading about, it's a pacey gospel, it goes through, it's the shortest of the gospels, and he talks about Jesus being the servant of God, and he speaks a lot, why wouldn't he, about what Jesus did. And then we get Luke. Luke refers to Jesus very often. You know this, uh, this, this phrase, the Son of Man. He often refers to Jesus as the Son of Man. And he talks to us a lot about Jesus' humanity, the hum human side of Jesus. He speaks of his divinity, but he talks to us also about Jesus being fully human as much as he was fully God. And then John speaks about the Son of God and who Jesus was, who Jesus is. Now, it might come as a surprise to you, because it certainly came as a surprise to me, that in all the stories that we know, and some of them well, about Jesus, do you know there's only one event that finds itself outside of the events leading up to Jesus' crucifixion, what we call Holy Week? Outside of those events, it's only the feeding of the 5,000 that appears in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. I didn't know that. Amazing. Are you amazing? Are you amazing? I was. I was. In fact, it's no wonder that, the, 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 that John ends his gospel, excuse my paraphrasing, who says, but Jesus did so many things that, that if it were all put into the books of the world, I guess the whole world wouldn't have enough room for them. So there was so much. But this denial of Peter's, this denial of his Lord on the night before he is Jesus is crucified, finds its way, as I say, in the pages of all the four Gospels. Um, why is that? Well, I hope this morning we shall see. We shall see. Now, out of all the disciples, I don't know, this has been said many times but by, by, by Pastor Jonathan and other preachers, the disciples, who do we relate to? We relate pretty much to Peter, don't we? I think we do. If there's going to be any disciple, we relate to Peter. Why is that? He gets it wrong. We get it wrong. He gets it wrong. He says things that are out of place. He misunderstands quite often what Jesus has actually said. And then he goes and says something or does something off the back of, oh, I think I've got a grasp of it, and he gets it wrong. I mean, how many times? I mean, I always smile, I guess you do, when, when we get to the Mount of Transfiguration. You know what I'm going to say, don't you? Jesus is taken, Peter, James, and John up there with him on this mount. He's transfigured. He's gloriously transfigured before them. And then we're told Moses and Elijah are there speaking to Jesus, telling him, discussing things we understand about, his, about what he's going to suffer and, and he's going to die. And, and Peter's not a part of any conversation. He's standing there like I would be, like you would be. Like, What does he say? Oh, Lord, it's good that we're here. We can put up three shelters for you. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Shut up, Peter. Just watch. Just listen. And then, remember, it's Jesus, uh, Peter who's full of confidence and boldness. And he says to, to the Lord Jesus, let me come to you on the water. Do you remember that? He gets out of the boat. He starts to walk to his Lord. Then he looks at the waves and he, he see, feels the wind and he sees his circumstance. And Jesus reaches out and saves him. Boldness, but it soon turned to worldliness. What about the time that he and all the disciples keep the children from Jesus? No, we don't. he doesn't want children. Keep them away. And Jesus he berates them. Let the children come to me. Which one of us is the greatest? 
Do you remember that one? Gets in a conversation with his, which one of us is the greatest? Another reason why worldliness comes into this. And I, I relate to this man. He's asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. Watch for an hour. Keep awake, says his Lord. What does he do? Asleep. Asleep. And then, when Jesus is apprehended in the garden, what does he do? Turns to violence. Very natural. Gets hold of a sword, slashes, cuts off, we're told, the right ear. That's my left ear, by the way. Right ear of the high servant. And he's turned to violence. He's, he's a man that's uh, he's, he's embroiled. There's a mixture of things that go on with Peter. But every time he got it wrong, every time he spoke, every time he was off beam... Every time that he had to be corrected, listen, he's had a big heart, a faithful heart, a bold heart, a loving heart. And he desired more than anything else to be a true disciple of his Lord, except, like us, he often got it a little bit wrong. He says to Jesus at the Last Supper, we haven't read that bit this morning, but he says, I will lay my life down for you. And I think he said it with all assurance and all fullness of heart. But the Bible tells us that when we think we're spiritually strong, when we think we're in a position of some solidity, as it were, in our faith, we need to be very, very careful. Very careful. Paul says to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 10, 12, so if you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. Why? Because in our humanity, in our frailty, in our natural way of living, we have a propensity thing. You might not even naturally sort of think it, as it were, directly in your thoughts, but you have this ability, I know I do, to veer towards my own. And do not lean upon your own understanding. I do. I lean upon things, oh, I've got that. Sometimes things are preached here, and I go, oh, yeah, but I know that. Do you know what I mean? And you get into that position... And the Bible tells us it's dangerous. If you trust in yourself, trust in yourself and think you've got it all together, it's a dangerous place to be spiritually. Do you remember when Jesus said to his disciples sometime before this, and who do you say I am? And then Peter, with all emphatically and all assurances, you are the Messiah, you are the Son of God. Amazing revelation, and yet then Jesus goes, yeah, and I'm going to have to suffer all sorts of things at the hands of the chief priests and the elders, and I'm going to be killed. And Peter says, no, Lord, he takes him to one side, puts his arm around him and says, these things won't happen to you, Lord. They're not going to happen to you. And Jesus tells him, get behind me, Satan. Not to Peter, but to the, to the, to the voice that is prompting Peter. You see, he's gone from spiritual wonderment down to being chastised by Jesus in the space of, what, two minutes? And that's where we come in, isn't it? That's how we can get it wrong. But at the Last Supper, Peter declares, and I say, in all earnestness, I'm going to lay my life down for you. But we know from what we've just read, he's about this far away from failure. This far away from big, big failure. Big failure. Proverbs 16, 18 warns, pride goes before destruction. A haughty spirit before a fall. Now, I've already mentioned he's prone to getting it wrong. He's prone to saying things and, and to speak without full understanding. Ring a bell? Speaking without full understanding? I think I do it every week. Think I understand something? Speak as though I've got knowledge and then get it all wrong. But even though Peter declared that he was going to lay down his life, 
it's still the way of being prideful. Why? Because Jesus had already said, very much in Peter's hearing, in very much in the disciples' hearing, that he was the Lamb of God who would do what? Lay down his life for the sheep. And he says this emphatically. He says this complete. He says, if you want to read about this, you read about it in the, in the Gospel of John and in chapter 10. And he's so important that Jesus goes and repeats it four more times in the, in the, in the ensuing verses. I am the good shepherd who lays down his sleep. And, and, and this time of laying down his life for the sheep was just about to arrive. This is, remember, the Last Supper. It's going to happen the next day. Yet we have Peter saying, effectively... Oh, I'm going to turn those tables, and Peter's going to lay down his life for Jesus. <laughs> pride. He may not have thought it was pride, but it was pride. And we're told pride goes before a fall. Pride, we know, is a sin, and Jesus will not allow Peter or any of his disciples to have sin in them, certainly not in the shape or form as well of pride, no matter how genuinely it's being expressed. I'll lay my life down for you. Jesus responds to Peter straight away. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, today, yes, tonight, before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. Three times. Well, we move on to the Garden of Gethsemane. Move on to this garden and to this group that had been sent in this cowardly way to apprehend Jesus. Why cowardly? Because they've come at night. They've come where there's no crowd around Jesus. They're not going in the daytime and in the temple courts because they're scared of a riot. So they send this detachment, uh, this, this group of various different people. And it's led, of course, by Judas. Judas pretty much guesses where Jesus is going to be found so he can lead them to him. And they do. They go into the garden. And then when Jesus is apprehended, it says in Scripture that everyone deserted him and fled. Everyone deserted him fled. Jesus had said that himself at the table about an hour or so earlier. When it was, and now it's in fulfillment because Zechariah had said in Zechariah 13, 7, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. However, we read that Peter does follow this departing group. He dev- it says at a distance. He's not right up there, what are you doing with my Jesus? No, he's at a distance. He's following, he's going on. And we know in going all the way to the high priest's courtyard, where he enters, it's going to be his downfall. It's going to be a big downfall. And then we see Peter, he's, 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 he's warming himself by the fire. Now, the fact that he was there at all, I think, shows in part how much he did love his Lord. And he was concerned about Jesus, and he wanted to see what was going to unfold. What's going to happen here? But whilst Jesus is in a room and he's being interrogated, he's being spat upon, he's being mocked, he's being struck, Peter's in the courtyard warming himself by the fire, seeing what's going to happen. And then we're told, as what we've read, a servant girl comes up to him and said, hmm, you were also with that Nazarene Jesus. How did she know that? I don't know, how did she know that? Well, she's a servant of the high priest, so I'm guessing she must have seen Peter with Jesus at some point around Jerusalem. He'd spent the last part of his time in the actual temple courts. So maybe she'd spotted him there, I'm guessing, but we don't know. And then you get this feeling that she's really rather disdainful, really speaking with contempt. You were with that Nazarene, Jesus. Do you get it? It's really coming across that she is scornful. In reply, Peter says, 
don't understand, do not know or understand what you're talking about. Now, he then decides to put some space between himself and her and goes out from the fire to the entrance to the courtyard. He clearly isn't aware at this point that the words of Jesus, which have already been spoken to him, are coming into play. It's not, it's not in any way triggered in his mind at this point because he thinks, oh, ah, this is a little bit dodgy. So he gets out to the courtyard entrance. And this same girl, we understand, comes by again. And she says to the others around them, this fellow is one of them. And again, Peter's not denies it. Don't know what he says, doesn't say us. It just says he denies it. And then after a little while longer, those that are standing there go, yeah, surely you're one of them. Because you're, 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 you're a Galilean. How did they know he was a Galilean? I like, guess his accent gave it away and showed that he was somebody from the Galilee region. But this time, on the third time, we're told that Peter doesn't just deny that he's one of Jesus' disciples. He doesn't just say, no, I'm not. He goes so too far. Did you, did you understand? Calls down curses. Starts to swear. Now, what does that mean? Well, we don't know, but expletives. Things like, ah, oh, may I be damned if I am not telling you the truth, or words to that effect. That's what calling down curses would mean. I don't know this man you're talking about. It's heated. His denial's heated. It's not only heated, it's fiery. It's not only fiery. He's calling down curses. He, uh, why? He's afraid. He's afraid. He's trapped. His back is proverbially against the wall. Remember, he's already cut off somebody's right ear, albeit that Jesus then goes and heals the man. And here he is. He's with other servants of the high priest. He's with guards. And he's in a difficult situation. His back is against the wall. Well, we're told immediately the rooster crows. And the words of Jesus at this point come flooding back into his head. He breaks down and he weeps knowing that he has failed. Now, I guess we all know this story very well, as I said at the front of the, the message. But the reasons why this story appears in all four Gospels is because it speaks of spiritual breakdown. It speaks of failure. And it's there for very good reason. It's not just because, oh, yeah, 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 that was one of the events that leads up to Jesus being crucified. It speaks volumes to us because it speaks about inadequacy. Let's face it, if, if Peter had been that steadfast believer, as he was really, but if he'd been that steadfast, I'll lay my life down for you type of guy, surely, surely he would have taken one of those three chances and have said something like, yes, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ, and he is the Lord, he is the Savior, he is King, he is the Messiah, as he had already boldly uh, proclaimed in Jesus' hearing before. But no, three chances every time. And remember, he'd also said, and if all fail, if all fail, and fall away, I will not. I will not, Lord Jesus. But he came up seriously, seriously wanting. You know, it's one thing, isn't it? to say something in a cosy room, surrounded by your disciple mates and your Lord. Very easy to make those declarations there. But when you come into the, a grip of a demanding situation where you're alone, circumstances that are slightly different from what those were, your confidence and your passion can ebb away. Does this ring a bell? 
this ring a bell? How many times have you, have I, let's, let's, let's turn it on me, how many times have I been guilty of making bold and steadfast declarations of faith to the Lord in this place or in a group with other like-minded brothers and sisters and yet when I encounter a situation outside where it calls me to stand up for my faith, how many times, not every time, I hope, but how many times, <laughs> tongue-tied, I fail, I lack, and I do not do what I should do. How many times when the name of my Lord Jesus needs to be upheld before a, 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 a spitting colleague or a, or, or a neighbor or a friend, and we stay silent. So you see, these things ring true in what Peter experienced in. And going into the priest's courtyard was going to be big temptation. He didn't know that, but it was big temptation. It was going to be big for Peter, and he was going to be hard-pressed. Why? Because he was going into a lion's den. Not literally, like Daniel, but he was going into a den where natural, worldly thoughts, feelings would rear up, where these things would suddenly be right in his face. Things like fear, anxiety, the threat of exposure, the things, Lord, the things that, that would affect any one of us. He was going to be accused of being in fellowship with Jesus, and he was going to be hard-pressed. He thought he was capable. He thought he was strong. If all fails, fail and fall away, I'm not. But then he denies his Lord three times. He denies that he even knows him is the extent that he goes to. And we need to be wary too, brothers and sisters. Why do we need to be wary? Because we need to be so, so grateful, so thankful, so thankful for the love of Jesus for us and never, ever, ever impress for our love for him. Never. Because that is fickle and that could be found to be faulty. We need to be aware that we are vulnerable people. And in our vulnerability, we can veer, I've already alluded to, to trusting in my own strength, my own understanding, my own abilities, and then suddenly we get into problems. Because sin, we're told in the word, it, Satan is like a roaring lion. Sin is ready to trip you up at every situation or every circumstance. He's just looking for a way to get into you and me to trip us up, to catch us unaware, kick me in the teeth, you know, to derail my faith. Anything and any situation. So, what do we take from this story of Peter's then? What do we take? Well, first off, one, prayer is crucial. Prayer is vital. Prayer is center stage in everything. Earlier in that evening, they were in a garden. Now, all the disciples were there, but Jesus invites Peter, James, and John to venture forward. He's going to travail in prayer before the Lord, before he faces the cross. And these three guys are taken forward, and he says, keep watch, keep watch, keep watch. You know, don't fall into temptation. What happened? Well, if you know your Bible, Jesus comes back to them, what, three times? Each time, he finds them slumbering, asleep, completely not keeping watch for asleep. Their eyes were heavy, they'd fallen asleep. We need to watch and pray. We really, in these days, well, what are we worried about? We need to watch and pray. We need to be aware of our circumstances day by day. Where are we? Who are we with? Where's the temptation? Where, what I might be prone to here? What I'm about to say? We need to be calling upon the Spirit all the time, especially when it comes to this, my thinking 
Oh, yeah, but yeah, yeah, the Lord understands. No, I need to be wary and very much aware so that I don't fall into temptation. To pray regularly that I don't. We don't fall into temptation. Temptation isn't sin. We know that. Temptation isn't sin. It says Jesus was tempted in every way but was without sin. What does that mean? Well, put in a position where we're vulnerable. Temptation. But as soon as we cross the line, as soon as we succumb, as soon as we get it wrong, as soon as we give in to temptation, that's when we sin. So we need to be wary. Peter, James, and John were not wary. They were asleep on the biggest night, as it were, of Jesus' ministry life. And we need the presence of the Holy Spirit to do that. We can't do it by ourselves. Not sleeping, not sleeping, alert. And there's other things that Jesus said in Scripture that we haven't got time to go into this morning where he says, stay alert, stay aware. Be the servant that's ready for the coming of the master. We need to be alert. Jesus came back to them at one point while they were sleeping, and he says, the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. The body is weak, and we know that. Each one of us knows that. But we need to have the spirit to push away those worldly things and come to him and seek him. Now, if you know your Bible well, or if you know your Bible at all, you'll know that this failure of Peter's didn't destroy him. It wasn't the end of Peter. It wasn't, oh, good innings, Peter, but you're out. That's it. You've no place in the future of the church. Why? Because the second point is this. There is abundant hope in Jesus. Abundant hope in Jesus. There is rich and abundant hope in our Lord, in our Savior, in our King. Even when we've suffered our biggest failures, even when we've got it wrong, even when we have let our Lord down and we've been tempted, we've sinned, Peter had failed big time. No doubt about that. He thought he was strong. When, the, when it came up to the testing, he failed. He failed. He failed completely. Have you failed? I've failed. I've failed. Many times have I failed. Many times. Significantly sometimes, actually, if truth be known. And Peter's failure was significant too. Really was. And I've no doubt that some of you are thinking, oh, frankly, so have I failed. I'm failing right at the moment in something in my life. Maybe you're online thinking, oh, yeah. Why? Because failure comes to each and every one of us. Each and every one. No one's immune from failure. Only the Lord Jesus is immune from failure. It's how we respond to failure, though, that marks us. Because do we allow it to keep us bowed down, to keep us, I failed, and I've let everyone down, and I don't know what to do about that. Yeah, there may be a season of that. But what do you do? You, 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 like, you confess. Lord, you repent. And you draw a line in the sand, so to speak, and say, from this point forward, that failure, that significant failure, whatever it may be, is going to be the driving on point where I get into better relationship with my Jesus, where I call upon him more and more, where I use this as a mark for success, not for failure. That's how we have to deal with it. But it's so hard to do. Sometimes it's hard to do. That evening, Jesus had prophesied to Peter that he would deny him three times. Jesus also said, now, I'm going to read this, and he talks about, he's called Simon now, okay? Simon is Peter, Peter is Simon. It's all very confusing, but anyway, he's got two names. So Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. 
And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Now, what do we know about sifting? Not very much. You may have read in the Bible about threshing floors and things like that. What's all that about? Well, back in the day, they'd take a crop, they'd take particularly wheat or corn or something, and uh, they'd, they'd physically have to smash it up a bit, break it up a bit in a th- on a threshing floor with a, with a, with a bit of wood with, with flint on it and stones. You smash it around. And what that would do would, would break the, the husk. It would break the chaff away from the, the, the ear of the corn, the grain. And they'd keep that bit, of course, and all the rest of that rubbish would get blown away. So that's what the sifting process is. Satan wanted to do that to Peter and to the other disciples. Satan wants to do that to you and me. Blow us away. Blow us away, what do you mean? Show that we're not worthy. Flag up our significant failures. Flag up, oh yeah, but you remember that time, Kevin? Yeah, but you remember that time. But praise God, there is hope. There is hope. The interesting thing here when I read this is that Jesus didn't tell Peter, and I have kept you from being sifted. He didn't say that, did he? I, he prayed that through the process, Peter wouldn't fail. Through the process. He had to go through the process. But that through that collapse, that spiritual car crash he had, that he wouldn't fail in the long run. And Jesus knew that Peter's wouldn't. Because he says, when you turn back. When you, he didn't say, oh, and if you turn back, who knows. When you turn back. Because Jesus knew that he'd turn back. Jesus knew that he would confess and repent and Peter would be restored. Do you know that Jesus prays for us? Even now, today, do you know that? Johnny Horner, with a message that he brought from this platform two weeks ago, mentioned this scripture. And it's Hebrews 7.25. Therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Intercede, read, pray. Pray, intercede for us. Jesus prayed for Peter before he even went into this situation that Jesus knew that he'd crumble in. Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for me. In the face of my failure, in the face of my wrongdoing, he's praying for me. Because he can restore and will restore all those that come to him in repentance and in love. You know, we all have moments. We all have times. We all have maybe seasons in our lives where, we, where, we, where, where our faith is... It goes a bit rocky. We, we, we may be cool in our love for Jesus. We might be one of those that, that we're told not to be, that get a bit lukewarm for our love for Jesus as opposed to being really on fire for him. We might have even whole, whole times when we're like that. But the amazing thing is that Jesus is for us and is praying that we should be those that are champions, those that are victorious, those that come through because he saves completely those who seek him. He loves and he prays for imperfect people. I won't show, ask for a show of hands. We're all an imperfect person and Jesus is praying for us. Peter, this rather proud, this rather, in a sense, may I say, at times arrogant guy, came face to face with his weakness that night. And he turned to his Lord afterwards, it said he broke down and wept. And we, we don't get scripture telling us what happened pretty much from that point. We do get told about him being gloriously 
reconciled to his Lord, if you know your Bible, on the, on the lake shore at Sea of Galilee after they've been fishing, after Jesus has been resurrected. And who's that on the lake shore? It's Jesus. And then you'll know that Peter is gloriously restored three times. Do you love me, Peter, more than these? Three times he's restored. Peter was undoubtedly on track to being who God wanted him to be, needed him to be, pillar of the church. Remember, the church is just to be formed. However, on the eve of Jesus being crucified, Peter is still full of self. He's still full of me. He's still full of, 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 of all those things that we identify with. And he's being shown that night, Jesus knew he would, just how much he needed his Lord, even though he'd been with him three years just how much he's needed, just how we need him. Exactly the same for us. Hour by hour, day by day, moment by moment, we need the presence, the blessing of the Holy Spirit, the one that has laid down his life for the sheep and who has saved us completely and who restores us, who prays for us. We need his cleansing. We need his healing. We need it that my sin and that my failures don't mark my life that it will be, yes, you're restored, you move on. It's not going to be my downfall, but it will be part of my story, but I will go through and be faithful to the end. That is our prayer, that is what Jesus is praying for. In his first letter, John's, excuse me, first letter, this wonderful, wonderful scripture, 1 John 2, verses 1 and 2, my dear children, I write this to you that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. You know, we're told that a young man traveled with Peter way after the events of Jesus' crucifixion, even after his resurrection, after his ascension to the Father's right hand. And this young man traveled with Peter because Peter was on mission uh, he even went with Peter to his great mission, we understand, to Rome. And he accompanied him all that way. And he took down, as he traveled, the memories that Peter had of Jesus over those three years or so. And those memories were put on paper, and it's what we call the Gospel of Mark today. The account we've read tonight, this morning rather, of Peter's denial very, very lightly came from Peter's mouth. What he, account, what he said about what happened as he was recounting these things to young Mark. And what I love about it, he tells it as it is. He doesn't try to gloss over anything. He doesn't say, don't try to pull the punches. Oh, puts himself in a better light than really was. Oh, no, it wasn't as bad as all that. He doesn't. He tells it as it is. He's very raw. He's very open. And the reason why that is, I really think, is that Peter knew, as I hope you know, that he'd been very, 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 very properly saved by his Lord. He had been saved, he'd been restored, he'd been forgiven. He was now who he was doing the Lord's work in the years that he had following the ascension of Jesus into heaven. He'd been restored just the same when he walked on the water and he failed and Jesus went, I've got you. He's got you. He's got me. He doesn't only save, praise God, he does. But he restores. He redeems. He puts back into order 
those that come to him and say, Lord, I got it wrong. And he doesn't say, well, that took you a long time. When we come back, we are restored, we are forgiven. Jesus is in the same way of restoring today as he was as he restored Peter, his loving disciple. Just want to finish by saying this. If you are suffering failure, don't let it mark your life. Come to the one who says, I cleanse you in my blood. I restore you. I forgive you. And I put you back on the track, the highway of God, where I want you to be found, where I want you walking with me. And let's remember, prayer is crucial. We don't do it by chance. We do it by being focused on who he is and what he brings in his spirit to us to enable us to be wary and to be the men and the women he wants us to be. It's a big task. It's a big ask. But we have a big God and we have a big Savior. Amen? Praise God. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.